0: Well, good evening, brothers and sisters, and also a welcome to those who are worshiping with us via the live stream. Congregation, let us rise for worship. At the very outset of our worship, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this evening, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now continue and let us praise God, our majestic King, with the words of Psalm 97 verses 1 and 3. We now have an opportunity to make confession of our faith, and this evening we'll do so with the words of the Nicene Creed. So congregation, say with me in your heart as follows, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light. True God of true God, begotten, not made, but one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who, for us men and our salvation, came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven. And sits at the right hand of the Father and he'll come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. Whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Who spoke through the prophets. And we believe in one. We believe one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. In response to the creed, let's now respond with hymn eight. Hymn eight. Let's now pray to God and ask for his blessing on this worship service. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, your word promises of a glorious day when all things are going to be restored and when all things will be made new. The prophet spoke of a day when weapons would be recycled and they would be used for tools of flourishing. They spoke of times of freshness. Times of harmony, of unquenchable joy and peace. Lord, we think of Isaiah's words when he says, You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hill before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall sing. Father, we are ready for a day of singing, a day of fullness of peace and joy. And Lord, as we now live between the two comings, life can feel tense, it can can often be full of difficulties and struggles. And so, Lord, we long for your second coming. We can't wait for your kingdom to come in in full glory. And so, Father, as we gather for worship on this day, commemorating the ascension of our Savior, we ask that you would renew our vision of that glorious future that we have. Encourage us with the words of life. May we share the mind of Christ. May we grasp the heart of Christ. And may we be energized by the life of Christ. May his presence overshadow us, and may his spirit revive us. Lord, because of your gentleness and kindness, we pour out our hearts before you. Because of your mercy and might, we are hopeful and expectant that you hear us. And so we pray all this in the name which is above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this evening, it's my intention to preach God's word as it comes to us from Acts 1 the verses 6 through 11, and in connection with that, we'll read a couple passages from the New Testament. The first is going to come from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, we'll look at the last chapter. You'll find that on on page 1061 of the Pew Bible. And so we'll open to Luke 24 and we'll read the verses 36 through 53. So Jesus has risen from the dead and now he is speaking to his disciples. And it says there, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do you do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. So now we'll turn to the Gospel of John. And we'll go to the words where he spoke to his disciples just before his his crucifixion. And this is where he promises that the Spirit is going to come to them. So we'll read from John and we'll read the verses uh, 4b through to 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And now we'll turn to the, uh, the book of Acts, and we'll read the verses 1 through 5. There, God's word says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the thi- all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had given, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's now sing Psalm 87 verses 1, 2, and 5. And this psalm is a mission psalm. And it declares how Israel is going to be a light to the nations and how other nations will come to Israel and experience salvation. So our text for this evening is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. This is where Luke tells the story of the ascension, the account of the ascension for a second time. And the words go as follows, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So far, God's word. In response to the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing from hymn 41, verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as far as sequels go, the book of Acts is quite interesting. Not ten verses into the book, the main character is gone from the scene. Imagine you started reading a book or maybe you're watching a film, it was a sequel, and in the first two minutes of the film or in the first chapter, in the first, on the first page, the main character is gone. That's not what you would expect. You would expect that it would continue. It would continue on where it left off, and, it would, and we'd see how the, the story would unfold. But that doesn't happen in the book of Acts. Luke's gospel, well, sorry, Luke's uh, account here in Acts, it opens with this statement. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And so like his previous book, the, the book of uh, Luke, the gospel of Luke, there he addresses, so here he addresses the same to the same person, to so the benefactor, Theophilus. And when he addressed his previous account to Theophilus, the whole point of it was that he might present an orderly account to this benefactor, Theophilus, and that that person may have certainty concerning Jesus Christ. And so it recounted how Jesus, he came into the world, how God sent him into the world to usher in the kingdom of God and to bring salvation for his people. And so the king has come and God is establishing his kingdom. But then the book of uh, of Luke, the gospel of Luke, it ends with Jesus' departure. It says in Luke 24, verse 51, we read it together. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And so you can imagine Theophilus, the benefactor, himself thinking to himself, "Well, what happens next? He opens the book of Acts, and again, Jesus is gone. What's going to happen next? How, if the king is gone, how is the kingdom going to continue? And what we notice is that before, even though Jesus Christ has gone into heaven, the kingdom doesn't stop at the ascension. Otherwise, we may as well end the sermon right now and we we may as well go home. Now, Luke opens with these words, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. So he was dealing with everything until the ascension. And so the clear assumption is that now that Christ has ascended, he is still dealing with what Jesus is busy with. That is, the kingdom is still going forth. The kingdom is still advancing. Luke's gospel is just the beginning of what Jesus was doing. In fact, his ascension was necessary for the advance of the kingdom. It was so that many would believe in Jesus Christ. And so what we want to see this evening as we pay more uh, attention to the ascension of Jesus Christ is that we see that Christ ascended into heaven so that his kingdom may advance and it to advance through the church's witness... Through the disciples, as they bear witness to the world about their Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so, preach the word of God under this theme, Christ ascended into heaven to advance his kingdom through the church's witness. And we'll flesh that out in two ways. So first, we'll see that the church's witness, it's empowered by the promised spirit. And then second, we'll see that it's motivated by Christ's promised return. So firstly, then, we'll see that the church's witness is empowered by the, the promised spirit. So if you look at both the, book, uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, both books tell us what happened after Christ rose from the dead and the time of his ascension. And then what we see is that time before, between his resurrection and the ascension, it was a time of much fellowship between Jesus and the disciples. For 40 days they were together. It was a time of teaching. We read that Jesus opened their minds. It says in Luke twenty four, verse forty five, Christ opened the disciples' minds to understand the scriptures. Wouldn't it have been amazing to be a fly on the wall in those conversations? And what we notice is that these conversations they focus a lot on the kingdom of God. Acts 1 verse 3, it says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And that makes sense, especially if you know the Gospels. If you think right back to the beginning of the Gospels, Christ starts his ministry out and he begins by preaching about the gospel of the kingdom of God. If you think of Mark 1 verse 15, it says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So the kingdom of God was a central theme right from the beginning of Jesus' preaching. And then we can think of Matthew's parables where he spoke about the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is like such and such, it's like a mustard seed, it's like someone going out into a field. And then we have, it ends, the gospel with the Christ nailed on the cross with the inscription, the King of the Jews. And yet what we see in the Gospels is that it was through the suffering of the King, it was through the death of the King, that God was advancing his kingdom. It's through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that Christ would deliver people who were caught under the, the kingdom and the domain of Satan and they'd be brought into the light, into the kingdom of, their beloved, of his beloved Son. And so when we think of that, then the question of the disciples here, it makes a lot of sense. They're asking questions about the kingdom. Verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now the fact that the disciples were interested about the kingdom isn't a surprise. If you, once again, if you look back at the Gospels, The disciples were often preoccupied with the kingdom. How was Israel going to be restored? And part of that, they often wondered about their place in the kingdom. Twice, Luke tells us that they were often preoccupied with thoughts of greatness in the kingdom. They discussed about who would be the greatest among them. It happened in chapter 9 and in chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 24, it says, A dispute also arose among them, that is the disciples, as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. So they were looking for, at that time, they were looking for a a political restoration of Israel, and they were wondering what place they would have in it. They often daydreamed about their future glory in the kingdom. Now, if we take that and we look here and see their question and we say to ourselves, see, the disciples haven't learned at all. They still don't get it. They're still looking for an earthly kingdom, a political kingdom. That's true to a degree, but it's not entirely fair. Remember, Christ opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If you think of the scriptures, the prophets foretold of a great restoration for the people of Israel, for the kingdom of Israel, where God would redeem Israel, from the hands of their enemies. And see, what the disciples are trying to understand is before they thought the kingdom was coming when Christ went into Jerusalem. But then Christ died. And now he's arisen and there's, they're wondering what's going to happen with the kingdom? What's going to happen with the restoration? Notice their question is about timing. They're trying to connect the dots. Christ, you're sent, you, you rose from the dead. Now, now what's going to happen? Now that you have risen, is God going to establish his rule now, at this time? You see, their their question is about timing. It says, they said to them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And what we see is that in Jesus' response, he moves away from the timing. He doesn't discuss that. He says that is for the father to know the times and the seasons, But then he says, what is for you to know is this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. So Jesus turns around and says to them, it's not for you to know the time, but you're going to be my witness and you're going to be witnesses of me, not just to Israel, but to the ends of the earth. You're going to be on the forefront of the advance of the kingdom." you will be my witnesses you will declare how i died and that forgiveness of sins is now for all those who believe in me it's interesting the prophet isaiah he spoke about the calling of israel in a similar way he prophesied about how the renewed people the people that would come out of exile would testify and would be witnesses of the true god the god who brings restoration and the god who brings salvation Isaiah prophesies about that in Isaiah 43. So in Isaiah 43 verse 12, after speaking about how God was going to bring the people back out of exile and restore them, he says, I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses. So it comes back. It says it there. So having experienced the deliverance and redemption that God has, has, had worked... They would be the witnesses. They'd be witnesses to that redemption, to the world. And now Jesus says to the disciples, this is your task. You are going to be witnesses of my glorious kingdom. My kingdom is going to advance through you as you proclaim to everyone the forgiveness found in me and salvation. This is what he said in in Luke 24. Luke 24, he said there, to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And there it says, you are my witnesses. You're going to be witnesses of me to the ends of the earth. And that wasn't going to be an easy task. There was going to be so much hostility along the way. It was an incredible task that they were given. Jesus speaks about this in John 16. He says, if the world hates me, then watch out because then they're going to hate you. If the world persecuted me, then watch out because they're going to persecute you. So the disciples were going to face great difficulty as they witnessed and proclaimed Christ to the world around them. And yet, what we see is that Christ wasn't calling them to go out and do this by themselves. They weren't just going to advance the kingdom by sheer willpower. No, Christ was going to empower them. He was going to empower them through his promised spirit. We read in verse 4 through 5 where he promised that the spirit would come. 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1. He said, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Or then right at the end of Luke, he says, And behold, I am sending the promised one from the Father, the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Sorry, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The disciples weren't going off in their own strength. No, they had to first wait. Christ was going to empower them with his spirit so that they could witness to the world. They had a task, but Christ was going to equip them for that task. In fact, he had to ascend so that the spirit would come down for this reason. He was going to dwell with them in their hearts. He was going to empower them for this. This is what we read together in John 16. He says, I tell you the truth. It's not to your disadvantage. It's actually to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the spirit, he's not going to come down. He's not going to come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world concerning sin. So Jesus says, I am going, I'm ascending to my father, but my kingdom work is not going to stop. No, it's going to keep going. It's going to go through you, and I'm pouring out my spirit upon you so that you can be my witnesses and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's what the disciples did. Jesus, he ascends into heaven, he, and the promised Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. He dwells in their hearts, and they go forth, and they proclaim Christ. They witness about Christ. Christ. If you notice, you first, in the Gospels, you have this, this group of fearful men. And suddenly in Acts 2, you have these bold, confident evangelists preaching Christ. And then even when the authorities come after them and persecute them, they, they continue. If one town rejects them, they go on to the next town and they go on to the next town. And how could, how could they do that? Well, we get a good, of, a good taste of this in Acts 13. So Paul and Barnabas, they're in Antioch, and we read that the Jews there in that city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And then ba- Paul and Barnabas, they shook the dust off their feet against them and they went on to the next city. Well, how could they do that? Well, the next verse tells us, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The ascended Savior, who is seated at the right hand, filled them with the Spirit, and so they proclaimed Christ. In the face of great opposition, they went forth, and they bore witness of him. You see, Christ equipped them for his service. He ascended into heaven. He had to ascend into heaven so the Spirit could come down, so his church could go forth and bear witness of him to the world. And so that his kingdom could keep moving, keep advancing to that great day when it would would all come in full. And yet not only was their gospel witness, was it empowered by the Spirit. It was the Spirit that gave them all that they needed. But it was also motivated by the coming of Jesus Christ, his second coming. And that's what we see in the second point. The church's witness is motivated by his promised return. So Jesus tells the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. And the very next thing we read is he ascends into heaven. Verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So Jesus starts rising into heaven, right? And the disciples, they stood there watching. Imagine that, brothers and sisters. Here's the Christ, the one that you've been following your whole life. Who had the most profound influence on you. Here he is. And he's rising up. He's disappeared once before. He was he you thought he was dead, and sorrow filled your heart, but then he and then he appeared. He was alive. And now here they are watching him. And he's gone. It would have been overwhelming. And so it makes sense that they stood there watching, gazing into heaven. Maybe hopefully. Just hoping that maybe he is going to return or maybe they would get another glimpse of him. And it's as, they're, as they stand there watching their Savior go up that the angels speak to them. Verse 10 the angels break the silence and they said, It says there, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And that's very significant. If you think of the beginning of Jesus, the beginning of the gospel, it's the angels that announce to his people that the birth, the birth of Christ is here. He has come. The baby that is born is Christ the Lord. That's what the angels declared. They spoke to Mary about it. They spoke to the shepherds about it. And then in Luke's gospel where he speaks about the resurrection of Christ, who were, who were there when the tomb was empty? It was the angels. It was the angels who were there. They are the ones that told the the women who had come, Christ has risen. It says in Luke twenty four, verse four, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They declared Christ is alive. And so now, once again, at this key moment in redemptive history, it's the angels that explain what's going on. They explain to us what's happening. Verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This Jesus, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's going to return. And notice there's a slight reproach in the words. Men of Galilee, what are you doing? Looking up into heaven. You have a task to do. Don't stand there gazing into heaven. Go to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. Obey the command of Christ. There is a task that you are to do. You see, congregation, there's there's a connection, a close connection, between what Jesus says in verse 8 and the very next thing that happens. So Jesus tells them, you're going to be my witnesses. And then after that, it says, after he said that, then he rises. He goes to heaven. He's ascended. He ascends. So it's after he told them their mission, their task, that he ascends into heaven. And so what we see is that not only did the the ascended Savior empower the disciples to witness, but he also motivates them by his second coming. He says, I'm coming back, so go, go bear witness. Christ didn't just leave, he didn't just abscond and go somewhere else that his work could be done and left by someone else today. No, he, he's left, but he is coming back. He's coming back, and in the meantime, the, the disciples were to go. They were to go and declare in the power of the Spirit, the Christ who had suffered and died and risen and now sits at the right hand of God. You see, it's the second coming that spurred them on in their witness. It spurred them on to keep going town after town despite all the opposition You see, if we miss the importance of what the angels are saying, well we I should say we can't miss the importance of what they're saying. Because without the promise of Christ's return, what's the point for the church? Without the promise of Christ's return, what's the point? No, the point is keep going because the kingdom is going to advance and it's going to come in full. Christ is going to come and it's going to come in all its glory and all its fullness. That's why they're able to keep going, even though they're nearly killed every time as they go from town to town. They're motivated by Christ's return. The same Jesus is coming back and he's going to return. And until then, there was work to do. See, this is what Jesus says to his disciples in the Gospel of Mark. And so he's speaking there about the coming, the second coming of Christ. And he says there that Christ, is not the, the Son of Man, is not going to return until the gospel is proclaimed to the nations. Mark 13 verse 10, it says, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So the disciples had to go, they had to witness about the salvation that God had worked through Jesus Christ. They had to go and tell about their, the Savior who had suffered and died and now rose. They had to proclaim that there was forgiveness of sins and restoration with God. And so off they went, empowered by the Spirit, motivated by the coming of their King, they went and they preached, and they preached, and they bore witness of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, and it spread, and it spread. You see, it was through the apostolic witness that God was advancing His kingdom. And when you read the book of Acts, you see that the gospel goes forth, it goes from Jerusalem it's kind of the agenda of the whole book starts with jerusalem then it goes to judea then it goes to samaria and then it ends it ends abroad in rome it ends with paul preaching the gospel with boldness and unhindered in rome but notice it's incomplete it hasn't gone to the ends of the earth and you see this is where christ's ascension touches down into the life of the church The church is left with a call to continue the work of witnessing to the world about Jesus Christ, the Savior. The church is now at the forefront of the kingdom. I should say it continues to be at the forefront of God's kingdom advance in this world. This is what you and I are a part of. We're a part of this global work that God is doing. Yes, it is true that we're not apostles. Yes, it is true that we're not eyewitnesses of Christ's life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. But we are, as we confess, we are an apostolic church. We are a church that proclaims the truth about Jesus Christ based on God's word, which has been given to us by the eyewitness testimony of the disciples. And so we too are called to witness, to witness of Jesus Christ. We can't just sit back and wait and speculate about what the timing of Christ's return. No, Christ gives us work to do. We are called to bear witness. And we do this communally as a church. We do it communally as a church if we think of how we engage in mission work in the world, in, in P&G, in Brazil, and in other places. But we also do it individually. Christ calls us to bear witness of him in our lives, whether it's training little ones in the the gospel so that they can witness, whether it's influencing people at work, whether it's in our conversations, in our conduct with people that are in our, our sphere of influence, you could say, whether it's the person at the grocery store. In a sense, the church has a task See, this is what Peter says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Whereas the Savior himself said, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And Christ doesn't leave us orphans in this task. The Spirit has been poured out. He is in our hearts. He is busy. He is amongst us. He is working. And he empowers us to bear witness of Jesus Christ, the Christ whom we believe, the Christ whom we confess. Jesus empowers us. He dwells with us so that we can face the opposition of the world and continue to bear witness despite that. He dwells in our hearts and he filled. Filled, we are filled by His power and presence so that we may shine as lights in the world. And we do so expectantly, knowing that He is going to come. We don't know the hour, we don't know the occasion, but He is coming back. And until then, we look to Him, our ascended Savior, to help us in this. You see, brothers and sisters, Christ may be gone, but His work continues and it's continuing through His church. He is still advancing his kingdom in the world. And you and I have a place in that. The acts, you could say, haven't stopped in Rome. Christ is still going. He is still working. He's working in the churches in China, and the churches of Korea, and the churches of London, and the churches of South Africa, and Australia, and here in Southern River. And he is at work until that glorious day when he will return on the clouds of heaven in all his glory. And until then, we have a task to do to witness of our Savior Jesus Christ. O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Savior whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on thy errand send us, to labor for thy sake. Amen. Let's now sing in response, hymn 41, verses 1, 2, and 3. Let us now pray to our Heavenly Father. Lord God in heaven, we praise you, that you have taken our Savior Jesus Christ, that he has ascended into heaven, that he sits at your right hand. Thank you for seating him on his throne. Lord, we know and believe that this is truly for our advantage, for if Christ didn't go up, the Spirit wouldn't have come down. And without the spirit, your church would not grow and your kingdom would not continue to advance. But rather, it would dwindle and it would die. Without your spirit in the first sign of opposition, we would be dissuaded in our witness. Without your spirit, greater would be the might of the world around us than our strength. Lord, your church would fail and would fall apart and it would grind to a halt. And so we praise you, that you've ascended into heaven. We thank you that at this very moment, you are seated on your throne, busy working. Lord Jesus, your earthly ministry was only the beginning. We marvel at how you have called your church to be part of the advance of your kingdom, to witness and declare your glorious gospel of salvation in the darkness and the brokenness of this world. Father, we pray that you would be with us. Lord, the task is great and the opposition is real. Please spur us on. Help us to trust that your spirit will give us what we need. Lord, prevent us from becoming slothful. Help us to be intentional, praying for an opening for the gospel so that we can witness about you to others. Lord, make our light shine and may they be bright and clear. Father, what a marvel it is that you use us for the advance of your kingdom in this world, that you are still busy. And Father, as we busy ourselves here on earth, help us. Help us to lift our eyes to heaven. Focus our eyes on Christ, that we may live with expectancy, motivated by his return, that we'd be fully convicted that he is coming, and that he is coming in all glory. And so, Father, we pray that you'd bless us now as we go from here, Thank you that we've had it. we have an opportunity to worship you. We pray that you would touch our hearts by your word and that we'd go forth in, in, our various, in, in our respective lives and that we'd do so by the power of the Spirit. Father, be with us. Grant us safety as we go home from here. Watch over us in this evening. Grant us a good night's rest, that we'd be able to work and be refreshed and ready for our task in your kingdom. The oh Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give your offerings. The offerings for this evening is for the Ministry of Mercy for Fair Haven and then afterwards we'll sing from hymn 46 verse 1 and 3. the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.